And I'm going to welcome up David Wright to read Psalm 40. So if you would please stand in honor of God's word. Listen as I read. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offerings you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I will delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, I will not restrain your mercies from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those who be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, we're in a series called The Psalms of the People, and um, it's a 10-week series, and a good chunk of the psalms that we preach in this series are going to be psalms that have been submitted uh, from, from you as a congregation, and, and there was a few weeks ago, many of you uh, submitted some suggestions, and we thank you for that, and we've uh, laid, out, uh, laid out a plan, uh, but week one of this series uh, was uh, Eric Freeman, who's a church planting resident with us, and he preached on Psalm 29, and that was Eric's choice. Uh, second week uh, I preached last week was Psalm 33, and that was my choice. Uh, today I'm preaching on Psalm 40, and I am declaring it COVID's choice. Maybe you would say a Psalm of COVID, and um, and and I think you you might you might see uh, as as we walk through uh, these these 17 verses. Um, I, am, uh, I have four points today, so I don't want anyone to be disoriented. I know, I know it's almost always three points, four points today. Uh, time will be the exact same. 
I'm, I'm not wearing a watch, so I, you know, whenever I get done, I get done, I guess. But uh, four, four points today. And the four points are longing, rescue, response, and then need again. So first, longing. Psalm 40 verse 1 starts right off with this phrase, I waited patiently for the Lord. Um, waiting. You know, I mean, my natural instinct says, who likes waiting? I mean, I certainly do not like it. I don't think that there's anything about it that, that, that I like. I, I think I'm a relatively impatient person, and I am not a fan of, of waiting. And the last 16 months of my life and your life and the life of our church, the life of our nation, the life of our world has been packed full of waiting. There's been this constant posture of like, when, when is this going to change? When, when is it going to, to, to be safe again? When are the numbers are going to allow our authorities to make decisions that, that open things up? How long do we have to wait? Uh, Psalm 40 is, is a great gift as we get invited into one follower of God, the God of heaven, uh, David, uh, and he engages his own waiting. And if you were to span out and look at the Bible, There's many passages that we could go to in the scriptures that indicate it is good to wait on the Lord. And so as a rebuke to Matt Heron, the Bible would say, Matt, it's good to wait. That's actually a good thing. There's there's things to be found in, in the waiting. There's plenty of other psalms that make the case that it is good to wait. The church calendar that we follow has a whole season where the posture is a posture of waiting. It's called Advent. And for four Sundays... We, we intentionally put ourselves in this seat of longing for the coming of the Messiah, longing for the coming of Christ. And then when we gather on Christmas Eve, we, we get to celebrate together that, that he really came, that that, that that Messiah really came. And so there's a whole season of, of waiting. So there, there, there's, there's value in the, the waiting. But in Psalm 40, uh, we're actually getting invited uh, into the complexity of waiting. Uh, you might actually say uh, almost into the human side of waiting. You know, the Bible owns the complexity of life. It owns the complexity of the world. Uh, maybe you're familiar with this, but in the, in the book of Proverbs, uh, there's a proverb that says, do not engage a fool in their folly. And then like right after that, there's a proverb that says, engage the fool in their folly. And you're like, wait a minute, how can this be? I thought the Bible was inerrant. I thought the Bible was true. Well, Proverbs is saying, sometimes it's right to confront the fool in their folly. Sometimes you're just jumping in the mud with the pig and you're gonna end up muddy. Like it's not wise to confront the fool in his folly. How do you know? Wisdom. That's the book of Proverbs is about wisdom and it's owning the fact that life is complicated. Well, as you think about this issue of waiting, like it, it, it's complicated. There, there's some theological things that we know about the character and person of God that inform the way that we should wait. But then there's also this reality that we're we're people. We're we're human beings with emotions and experiences. And waiting has a a burden to it, a heaviness to it. When you look at verse 1, I know that we might not all have the same version, but in in the ESV, which is the version that's the chair Bible and that we read for our our, uh, uh, scripture reading, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And honestly, that, that's, it's a little too soft. There is more going on here than our English, than the ESV is, is reflecting. Verse 1 in the Hebrew actually begins with two 
Hebrew verbs. It's like the same verb repeated. David starts off Psalm 40 by basically saying, waiting, I waited. Waiting, I waited. It's, it's the same verb twice. The word patient is not in the Hebrew at all. The word patiently is not in the Hebrew at all. It's added as an effort to give us a sense of the psalmist's situation. It, you know, it's like waited patiently, waited, waited, waiting, I waited. It, it, the, 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 the translators are trying to say it was a long time. But in the Hebrew, it's like double. It's waiting, I waited. And this, this language, I waited patiently for the Lord, I don't know how it strikes you, but it seems like it might be a little too weak. Uh, Derek Kidner, the great British Anglican Old Testament scholar, he said, I waited patiently is too placid for the intensity of these opening words. Uh, another commentator said that the double use of wait probably emphasizes the exclusivity of waiting. All I did was wait because everything else was taken from me. Th that's the gist of that first phrase. And can anyone say COVID, right? All I did was wait because everything else was taken from me. Everything else was pulled away. All I did was wait. There is more desperation here, more longing here, more passion than the phrase I waited patiently reflects. In other words, the psalmist is not just leaning back in, in, his, in his comfortable chair, eating popcorn, saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. No, he's saying, waiting, I waited. It's more like he's pacing the floor. He's crying out to God. Uh, another Old Testament scholar says that the psalmist is praying with yearning and anxiety. And he said that that Hebrew word for waiting has the, the sense of anxiety built right into it. The psalmist is being honest before God. He is saying, I am anxious here. I am tied up in knots. I'm not sure what to do. Everything has been taken from me. The psalmist is working in pretty blunt terms. He's basically saying, I've endured excruciating season. It's been very, very hard, in which I could do nothing but wait. I kept going to God. I went to God like I went to God, but I kept going and going and going and longing and yearning, and enduring with honesty. You know, the psalmist is owning it. He's owning it, but he's owning it before the Lord. There's this, this, this sense of honesty in this phrase. And in some ways, I think it maybe is one of the most important takeaways from Psalm 40, that he's honest before God about the reality of his life. And maybe you've heard this criticism, but like it, you can see it a lot in Christian music. But a lot of Christian music really struggles with realism. It struggles with owning the brokenness of the world. If you go survey music that's been written in the last decade, there's just not very many laments that have been written. Modern, modern Christian art struggles with this realist, like this, this real picture of the brokenness of the world. Well, the, you know, David doesn't struggle with it. In Psalm 40, he's putting it right, right on the table. He's a follower of God who's in a terrible situation, passionately asking God to help, and he's not getting tangible help. And he's been asking for a long time, and he's not getting it. Well, what do you do in those situations? How do you handle the situations where it's been a long time, 
And you've been, you've been doing it. You've been bringing it to God. You've been crying out to him. I waited patiently for the Lord. He, he's, he's aiming in the right direction, but he's getting nothing back. What do you do? Do you blame God? Do you do your own thing? Do you force your way? Do you blame and accuse other people? Boy, we saw a ton of this during COVID, didn't we? Of just, a, 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 just an unsettledness and eventually saying, forget it. I'm doing my own thing. I'm going to do it my own way. But let's be honest. As terrible as COVID has been, there's a lot of trials way worse than COVID. There's a lot of things that many of you in this room have experienced way worse than COVID. What do you do in those situations? The psalmist is telling us. Here's what he's saying. You're not alone. You're not alone. In that really long, dark, hard story where you feel like you're not getting answers, you are not alone. Maybe you could say that the Bible is telling us that the followers of the God of heaven have had to become professional waiters. Because as I just mentioned with the season of Advent, we don't just put ourselves in the seat of the, 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 the waiter for the month of December while we wait for the Messiah to come the first time. We remember that we're still in the seat of waiting as we long for the Messiah to come a second time. The followers of God need to be professional waiters as hard as it is. So let's do it well. Let's tell God about it. Let's be honest because he's not as absent as it often feels. Point two, rescue. He goes on in verse one and he says that this, 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 this Lord that he's been waiting for, eventually, that's the sense of the Hebrew here, is eventually he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He inclined and heard my cry. He drew me up. He set my feet on a rock. That is, that is such good news. God heard him. And not just heard him, but he heard him and he rescued him too. Do you know how disruptive and uncomfortable this is if you're genuinely looking at it? The psalmist is basically saying, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and finally, finally God did what I asked. He's basically saying, God finally heard me. God finally rescued me. This Hebrew word, it gives this sense of leaning forward, the idea of God inclining to him. It's the, the, the psalmist is saying, it's like, finally, God, God leaned forward, and it was like, what, what is that, David? What? Oh, yeah. D David's experience of this is that, that God was dis disengaged, and then God leaned forward, and God began hearing him, and God responded. It has inherent to it that God wasn't leaning forward. That's how David was experiencing his life. It's like, God, you're, you're on vacation. And then this moment came where God leaned in in David's experience. It's pretty direct. It's pretty raw. It's pretty honest. Eugene Peterson says the Psalms are not quaint. They are not nice. And we're faced again with that question. Can you be honest with God about your life? Can you go to God and tell God that you actually feel like he's disengaged? Can you tell God that you feel like he's on vacation? The psalmist did. Now the psalmist goes on and processes it. But the psalmist says this. 
to the God of heaven. It's raw and it's really good news. God did not only rescue him physically, his circumstances, that's what's intended by the idea of setting his feet upon a rock, is that his circumstances actually did change. Um, He's not in a precarious situation anymore. But God also rescued him spiritually, his heart. Because the psalmist goes on to say, he put a new song in my mouth. Something's different on the inside. This phrase, new song, shows up a handful of times over the course of of the 150 psalms that we have, and it's used a few different ways. One of the ways it can be used is like we saw last week in Psalm 33, like literally a new song, that you you may be experiencing something in the world, and you want to sit down with a notepad, and you want to write a new song, and write a new melody, and actually declare something new, sounds that people have never heard before. But another way that new song is used is the way it's being used here in Psalm 40. And it's this idea that you're singing in response to a new experience of God's grace, a new understanding. Maybe you could say it this way. An author named David Taylor puts it this way. He says that it's not the song that is different as much as it is you that is different. The way you're singing, maybe you've been there. You, you, you've had an experience with God, and all of a sudden you sing a song that you've sang a bunch of times, but all of a sudden it, it's, it's making you cry. It's making you fall to your knees. It's making you worship the God of heaven in a whole new way. It's not a new, a new song in the sense that those, those melodies or those lyrics have never been heard before, but you're different. The way you're singing it is different, and that does appear to be the sense here in Psalm 40 that he is changed. And his singing is in response to this new perspective. What does the psalmist say in this new perspective? Look at verses 3 through 10. Response. And I just, I'm just going to read verses 3 through 10 and just make a comment or two as we read these uh, seven or eight verses. This is what he says. After, after verse 2, you, you, put, you set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Listen to the rest of this. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So many, many are going to see this. This testimony, this work of God in his life is going to be on display. And other people are going to respond and trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. It seems like maybe he's rehearsing a little bit of his waiting and saying, do you know how many times I was tempted? Do you know how many times I was tempted to trust in something else? Do you know how many times in my pride I was tempted to turn to something else? Do you know how many times I was tempted to go astray after a lie? Blessed is the one who, who when, when, when they realize they're chasing those things, turns back. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall for that. Verse 5, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. Look, look at God's deeds. He says they're multiplied. He's he's looking through these lenses now, and he's like, God, your your work in the world is like multiplied. I see it everywhere. I see your sovereign hand, your works, your deeds, your thoughts towards us. He says, I'll proclaim them. I'll tell of them. Yet they are more than can be told. So he says, all these glorious deeds, I'm going to tell other people about them. I'm going to at least try. I'm going to at least try. Because at the end of verse 5, he says, there's more than I can say. I, like, it's a too big a job for me. So I'm, I'm not qualified for this, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to proclaim them. I'm going to tell them. 
And then verses 6 and 7, uh, verse 6, he, he talks about this idea of sacrifice and offering. He says, God, that's not what you want. You're not saying, what was your church attendance? He's not saying, what, what, how big was your, the gift that you gave? Now, it's not the sacrifice. It's not the offering. But you've given me an open ear. We read from Romans 5 here just a little bit ago from the message where it's like, like I throw my doors open to God only to realize that God's already thrown his doors open to me. It's not about this performance. It's not about doing all of these things for you. God's goodness is not something we can earn. It's not something that we deserve. You can't do enough. Burnt offering and sin offering, you've not required that. That's not the point. It's that God actually sees you and he hears you, that he's already thrown his doors open to you and he welcomes you, he, he woos you, he invites you. Verse 7, then I said, behold, I have, come in the, in the, in, I have come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Look at that order. He says, it's not what you do. It's God's grace towards me. But then what's his response to it? I'd like to do your will. We say all the time, we are working from love, not for love. The psalmist says, I see your posture towards me, and that makes me delight to do your will. Because, you, you, because I have your ear, because you love me, because you've shined upon me. Now, I, I, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. This sounds like you know, passages from Psalm 119. Then verses 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. He is sharing it with people, but he is specifically sharing it with the great congregation, with the people of God, his fellow worshipers, and he is letting them know the whole story. You know, you, you see this uh, in many times in the Bible. When, when God comes in and, and changes a life, all of a sudden they're able to talk about their brokenness without shame. They're able to talk about their failure without shame. And they can just lay it all on the table. And they can go before the people of God. And you've heard it in the waters of, these of this baptistry. You've heard people do it right in this room of just laying their whole story out. And they do it in the whole congregation, in the great congregation. And they tell the story. And the story is not a story of their faithfulness. The story is the story of God's faithfulness. And the psalmist says, I'm going to share it. I'm going to tell them the whole story. I'm going to say, look, guys, I was tempted with these lies. I was tempted to do it in my own power. I was tempted to turn from the God of heaven. I was tempted to trust in something else. But God's faithfulness to me carried me through it. Uh, in Psalm 116, uh, in the message, um, this is verses 12 through 14. And I think that uh, Eugene Peterson is the translator for, Psalm, uh, for, for, for the, the, the message. And in Psalm 116, verses 12 through 14, I, man, I think he captures the chunk that we just read from Psalm 40 in just a couple verses. L listen, listen to Psalm 116, verses 12 through 14 from the message. What can I give back to God for the blessings he's poured out on me? I'll lift high the cup of salvation, a toast to God. I'll pray in the name of God. I'll complete what I promised God I'd do, and I'll do it together with his people. 
It sure seems to me that the psalmist is starting off by saying, this isn't a transaction. It's not like God gives me this stuff and then it's like I try to earn it. or sh- No, no it's, just, it's just grace upon me. And as I've received that grace and been blown away by it, it changes the way I see the world. And now I've got these vows, these promises, this life, this desire to follow the will of God. I'll complete what I promised God I'd do and I'll do it together with his people. But it's not payback. That, it, it'll never work. What do you think you've received? You'll never be able to pay it back. It doesn't work like that. That's his response. And then part of the reason why I'm having a fourth point is because a fourth point at Sojourn is disruptive. And then the fourth point in this psalm is disruptive. This, this, is, this is not how I want to end things, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad right there. Like, he's worshiping in the great congregation. But no, we've got some more verses And when you get to verse 11 through 15, just just listen to these. So after all that celebrating, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. The the, the point of these verses is, verse one, I, I, I was in this boat. Verse 1b, you heard me finally. Finally, you heard me. Finally, you rescued me. And I am on cloud nine about it. And I'm telling everybody about it. And it's such good news. And here's what I'm going to say. And here's what I'm going to do. And by the time you get to verse 11, there's another trial. I mean, are you kidding me? He just found rescue. He was just lifted from the pit of destruction, from the miry clay. This is one of the reasons why I see Psalm 40 as a psalm of COVID. An Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann, he he categorizes Psalm 40 as a psalm of disorientation. Can I get an amen? COVID, a season of disorientation. Can you relate to this? One trial ends, and just as you start to breathe, another trial hits. Maybe the trial starts before the first one even gets done. Maybe you're in a trial that has never ended in the first place. It just goes on and on. Doesn't it make you want to cry out? How long, O Lord? You know, Psalm 40 doesn't say the words, how long. Other psalms say how long. But Psalm 40 sure gives you the sentiment of how long. How long? How long is this going to be the cycle? How long is it going to be trial after trial after trial? How long are these trials going to last? It's a a shared example here is covid We waited and waited, we longed and yearned, and with anxiety, a lot of these days, with anxiety. It has been so, so hard. We have fought to trust God. We have been tempted to trust in other things. We have been tempted to chase after lies. We've tried to proclaim his good deeds, even while we struggled under the state guidelines. Now, finally, finally, the Lord is inclined and heard our cry. And lifted us out of the global pandemic. 
on June 22nd, after 466 days, there will be no more COVID restrictions. That is such good news. But let me ask you, what do you think is next? What lies in the future? What lies in the near future? Boy, here's the hard news. The hard news is we do not know. It may be a season of joy and rest and comfort. And we had my daughter's graduation party at our house yesterday, and the sun was shining, and our friends were there, and it was a blessed, just an incredible time. And part of me just wants to think the whole summer is going to be like that. Like it's just, we, we endured COVID, and now we're going to get at least three months of just goodness, just everything good. It might be, it might be a season of joy and rest and comfort, or it might be another trial. See, the world is broken. The world is not as it should be. Shalom has been vandalized by sin, and its effects are felt every single day. What are we to do about that? Well, there's a few more verses in Psalm 40. Look at verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. See, in verse 16, his circumstances haven't changed. Earlier, his circumstances changed. In verse 16, they're, they're not changed. He's still waiting for delivery. He's still saying, God, may, would, you, would you come rescue me out of this new one? But in verse 16, he says, but you know what? I'm going to seek you. I'm going to be glad in you. I, I, you know, for those who love your salvation, just say, great is the Lord. R- remind yourself of this. Remind yourself that in spite of your circumstances, great is the Lord. Sing the new song Anyway, the new song is the right song to sing anyway. Why? Why sing anyway? Why trust anyway? Because the psalmist knows his condition. Look at verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy. I am poor and needy. Listen, do you know know what sin has done to the world? Do you know what sin has done to you? It is so much worse than you think. It is so much worse than you think. Every creak of the bones, every joint pain, every every body problem, every spiritual problem, every relational problem, everything wrong with the world is here because sin is here. The world is broken. And the psalmist looks in the mirror and he says, "I, I know the situation here. I am poor and needy. It's worse than I think. But the psalmist also knows God's character. Look what he says. But the Lord takes thought for me. The Lord takes thought for me. He took thought of David so many times. What about me and you? Boy, boy does he ever. Boy, did he ever. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, took on a human body, and he came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life, and then he suffered and died. Why? Well, in Hebrews chapter 12, this is what we're told. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy set before Jesus? The people of God, 
the rescue of the people of God. Our Lord Jesus came and suffered and died in order to rescue us, to bring us back to God. By doing what? By crushing death. The gospel tells us that death is the consequence of our sin, that death is separation. And Jesus came and lived and died and rose again in order to reconcile us to God. I recently was listening to an interview with Bono, the, the lead singer of, of U2, U2 and, uh, and he talked about a trip that he made to the Holy Land. And he said that as he was in the Holy Land, he was sitting at a location, and maybe you know this, there's two different locations that, that are uh, they're, they're guesses, but possible locations where Jesus was crucified, and then very, very close to those locations are places where they think he may have been buried. And so Bono is at one of those places, and he's sitting there, and within proximity, Jesus was crucified here, and not far away, he was buried there, and, and then three days later, gloriously rose again. And Bono said as he stood there, he began thinking, this is the place. This is the place where death died. This is the place where death died. He said, then I don't have to be afraid anymore. He's like, I actually don't believe in it anymore. Now, Bono's an artist, so I, I, you know, we'll give him some, uh, you know, some liberty there. But he's like, I don't believe in death anymore. What Jesus did for us crushed death. It swallowed up death. Death has lost its sting. You see what Bono's saying? He's saying, if that's true, if death has died, then I don't have to be afraid of what's around the next corner. Because death, the only enemy that can really hurt me, has already been defeated. My trials still hurt. I still long for them to end. I still long for the suffering to end. But I know where this story is going. So whether I'm entering a trial or coming out of a trial, in the middle of one trial, or in the middle of two trials, or in the middle of three trials, I don't have to be afraid because death has already died. David, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. In 2021, we could say, as for us, we are poor and needy, but the Lord has taken thought of us in the only way that really matters. And he's soon coming back to make all things new. Let's sing a new song, even while we wait. Let's pray. God, thank you for this psalm, packed so full with so much stuff, so much stuff to consider. But God, would you just, would maybe just help us to hold on to the rhythms here, the rescue from one trial, the thanksgiving, the celebration with your people, that that trial has ended, a recognition of your great deeds, of your faithfulness, your steadfast love, and then right into another trial. God, would you help us to see that while our circumstances hurt, boy, sometimes they really, really hurt, um, there's an ultimate circumstance that if we are in Christ, cannot change. God, we thank you that Christ did what he did, that on that cross, in that grave, on that Sunday morning, death was destroyed. Death died. And because of that, we can have such hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.